Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Good evening and welcome to All the Things. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Pontrager. This is the show where we talk about all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. Thank you for join, joining us tonight. And helping us on the show tonight, night and every day, is the one and only Bob Bontrager. There he is. Woo! All right. Professional button pusher. Now, tonight's show is a pre-recorded show. And so we do have moderators. I'm just not sure who they're going to be yet. It's in the future. Yes. So treat our moderators nicely. Thanks. That's right. So we are re- we are pre-recording because we're out of town. Yes. And we're going to be speaking at a conference in Hawaii. Yes. And we're we're a little I'm excited. Suffering for the gospel people. Um, <laughs> oh, the the suffering that I experience. But we didn't want to leave you without some fresh content. And this is a conversation I've been wanting to have for quite some time. So I'm super excited uh, for our guest tonight. And uh, like when he said, we will have moderators on the stream during the premiere. So go ahead and add your voice there. And also don't forget to interact with us, support the show, like, subscribe, make sure the notification bell is turned on. Yes. In addition to that, our show tonight is brought to you by Impact 360, um, Birmingham Theological Seminary, the Center for Biblical Unity, Theology Mom Podcast. And Family 210 Clothing. Woohoo! Yes, yes, yes. All right. So tonight's topic, we're going to jump right in. Just- no, no, we got to do oh. the what's happening. Because the, there's a very obvious thing happening here. We cannot jump into the topic yet. You have. N- this is my life, people. Every day. It's. What? It's so different. What? You came back from Tennessee uh-huh. and. Like, I hardly recognize you. Well, no. Okay. So I came so back from Tennessee. And a I was totally looking, new hairdo. No. When I came back from Tennessee, I was looking rough. People, it was, it was rough. I relaxed. I, I rode a lot in Tennessee. But y'all, woo, I came back. My hair was a mess. And so I went and I got it done again. Yes. Now, see. It looks of, really nice. Thank you. Everybody vote in the chat what you think of Monique's new hairstyle. Do you like the long? It see, has certain vibes to me of another prominent Black evangelical I'm going to need you to, to speaker. calm down all the way. You keep telling me, <laughs> you know what I'm not even going to say. I know, I'm not saying even, it. Either, either way, people. Let's see who says it in the chat. Either way. <laughs> yes. Because you know what? I can switch it up. It'll be like this for a month and then it's going to be something else. I know, but I really like it. Thanks. I, I think she did a good selection. You had a little help picking it out. I like it. Yes. Because yes. you almost have like the CFPU colors in there and everything. It's so cool. God bless your spirit. God bless <laughs> I touched your hair. Oops. I forgot. Yeah. Okay. Here we are. Okay. Now, can we start? All right. Well, yeah, okay. we can start. You got the so, book done, right? Girl. We're close. We're close. Yes. Right. Yes. We, I got so much done. Yeah. I'm glad to be back. And we are going to start officially right now. Okay. So for the last almost year, I feel like you've been wanting to talk about AI, yeah. which is artificial intelligence. I know nothing about AI or artificial intelligence. When I say I am representing the normal, like the, just the average Joe, I am that person. All right. Um, and so I'm going to sit and learn a lot too. 
as we have this conversation. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I thought it was so interesting. Elon Musk, the now owner of Twitter and Tesla, and I don't know all his companies. He's got a lot of money and a lot of inventions. This is a, a tweet from March 29th. It says, breaking, a petition is circulating to pause all major AI developments, such as no more chat GPT upgrades and many others. So one of the signers is Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak, who was one of the co-creators of the Macintosh computer, Stability, I have no idea what that is, Stability AI CEO and thousands of other tech leaders. Here's the breakdown. So this caught my attention because I have been concerned for a while about artificial intelligence and some of the things I see happening. Um, and so we have a couple of friends mm -hmm. on the show. Luckily, I know some people. You do. And so we have a couple of good people to talk to about this topic and get a Christian perspective on it. So I want to welcome to the show for the first time, Dr. Jeff Swearing from Reasons to Believe and then boop, boop. Dr. Joe Miller. I don't know. He's been on 45 times. He's also on our Academic Advisory Council. So welcome, gentlemen. Thanks. Uh, good to be here. Time to be here, Monique and uh, Krista. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's great to have both of you here. So, Jeff, you might, you might be a little newer for most of our viewers. So maybe you could give us kind of your two-minute introduction of who you are and how you became interested in researching the issue of artificial intelligence. So as you mentioned, my name is Jeff Zwerink. I work at Reasons to Believe. I'm a senior research scholar there. Just looking at developing resources that show how science and the Christian faith work together and as I had been just in my scientific studies and looking at what's going on in the world, there's just a lot of computer stuff involved in that. I like doing computer programming and looking at how artificial intelligence is kind of making big inroads into things that are utilized in society. And so I thought, hey, that would be something interesting to just delve in. What is AI? How does it work? what as a christian do we what what does the christian have to bring to that conversation and so i've just been thinking about and started writing a manuscript trying to get some information out there to help christians and non-christians alike not only think about what is ai about but why we want christianity to be true if we're going to develop ai wow thanks so much for that jeff um now i have met Jeff a couple of times yeah. visiting you at Reasons to Believe. Yep. And so it's quite interesting and fun to have him on the show. Yeah. Now, Joe, for the three people who <laughs> are watching that do not know who you are, can you tell us a bit about yourself and um, how you became interested in artificial intelligence? Yeah, well, it's good to be back on. Uh, and I'm sure there's more than three because you guys have, uh, what, million new followers every day or something like that. So Yeah, no I've shadow banning. This. We're good. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but no, I, it's exciting to be back with you gals again. Uh, yeah, so right now uh, I teach at Grand Canyon University. I'm assistant professor of Christian Worldview. And uh, excited, I get about 300 students a semester. And I get 15 weeks to share with them about Jesus and the gospel every week. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, and my interest in AI is sort of tangential to my exploration of human origins. Uh, when I started doing some of my studies years ago, 
uh, between science and religion and human origins for both my master's and PhD stuff, a lot of it was around Adam and Eve, which got us, what does it mean to be a human? And so when you start asking questions, what does it mean to be a human? You end up with all these questions of like today, what does it mean? And so AI sort of touches on that uh, question of what does it mean to be human as we explore, can I, AI you know, have human consciousness? Can it have identity? All those sort of things. So they ended up touching and because I like the sciencey side of stuff, I started reading on it. So that's my interest. Very cool. So what I love about this is the interdisciplinary nature of the conversation. Jeff's bringing a lot of his scientific background, computer programming, all of that. Joe's bringing you know, his background in ethics, philosophy, theology. So I think this is going to be a great conversation. Yeah, when they all merge. Yeah. Yeah. Be great. Now for the regular people like me, remember I represent the regular folk. Can you guys help me understand exactly what is artificial intelligence or AI? Where would I see it in real life? Like what would qualify yeah. something as an AI technology? That to me is. Let me, uh, hey Jeff, let me actually. I'm gonna let me jump in. I'm gonna give you a quick definition first because right. mine's probably not as great as yours. Uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna start weak, and then the bar will be set low, and you can go higher for everybody. So I'll look only bet worse if I go after you. So let me give you this up quote. This isn't my definition, but I, I'm gonna give it to you this because I like this definition. I'll tell you why in a second. AI or artificial intelligence refers to the simulation of human intelligence in machines that are programmed to perform tasks that typically require human-like cognitive abilities, such as learning, problem-solving, perception, and decision-making. The ultimate goal of AI is to create intelligent machines that can perform complex tasks autonomously without human intervention and potentially even surpass human intelligence in some areas. Thus says ChatGPT. So I got that definition from ChatGPT. Uh, you got it, a definition AI. for artificial intelligence from artificial intelligence. Yes. Okay. That'd be fun. <laughs> That's good. That's pretty cool. I actually like that. Uh, I, uh, I struggle because when you ask for a definition of artificial intelligence, I think we need to have a, a definition of what intelligence is. But in my mind, there are kind of two categories that are relevant to think about. And when I think of artificial intelligence, my immediate thought is R2-D2, Ultron, Al, Johnny Five, Centennial Man. These are these sentient beings, that, if you will, that they're, they're robots, they're androids, they're something that are not biological organisms that somehow develop a consciousness, a sentience, they can learn, they can interact with other people, they grow, they mature, that that would be the, the kind of the historical definition of artificial intelligence, where it's basically you've got this other being that we've somehow manufactured that's not biologically tied. But there's this other kind of more practical definition that is relevant to what we're using today, which is a computer system that is able to adapt and update itself. And you know, a lot of people like to use the term learn, and I don't use that term because that's a very human way of thinking about it, but where a, compu or a computer system that can, in an environment, make a decision, get input on whether the decision was good or bad, and then update itself so that the next time it's in a similar environment, it might make a different decision. So it's not just this whatever comes in dictates the exact same thing out, it can kind of mature, if you will, in its response, or at least update its response to be more relevant to the current situation. And we've got examples of that kind of AI that exist 
in so many different arenas that we interact with. So again, normal person question here. Are you talking about like a Roomba vacuum cleaner or like when I get in my car and it's set on person one, so then I sit down and it knows to seat for me and adjusts for me and then Krista gets in and it adjusts for her? Or are you talking about like when I look at my iPhone and it unlocks or you said um, the R2-D2 from Star Wars. Star Wars. So like an actual robot. Like are so, we headed toward like robot town? I Help me out. I, I think there's a lot of people who want that. The reality of it is the, the car that adjusts to your settings, that's, that's just a program. It gets in, it detects that, and it adjusts those settings. What I'm talking about that would classify as AI was where maybe like you're using uh, a map or a navigation system where you say, hey, I want to go here. And it can look at, navigate the terrain, figure out what different routes and evaluate and say, this one's the best based on whatever its criteria. And it'll update itself if the traffic's worse or if there's a crash or things like that. So when I use Waze. Oh, I'm about to delete Waze. The devil is a whole lie. He ain't gonna be knowing me like that. <laughs> Not so today. if I use Waze, I'm using artificial intelligence. A, a, a level of artificial intelligence. Okay. Probably the biggest place where you interact with it, though, is actually in your social media. Because the whole backbone of social media is, how do I learn what this person's about? And then I can give them the content that they want to hear. And the better profile it can build, the more it can provide content that you're going to want to engage with. So. AI is, or there's a lot of AI behind the social media that we do. Those are, that's probably the most prevalent example that most people interact with. So this is why when I click on Instagram and I watch an ad for face cream. You are not watching ads for face cream. You do not even have to lie. She is watching <laughs> Corgi videos. Everybody want to know what she see on, on Instagram? It's only Corgi video, face cream, please. <laughs> and then I go on Facebook and it's, those same quirks. It's those same face cream ads. It, it knows. And then I'm over on Google and it says, hey, do you want to know about this face cream? That Would that be AI? Is that what you're talking about? Those are the sorts of things that play out in, in doing that. So it is learning, hey, Krista is interested in this. So the next time it comes around, let's show Krista this. Maybe she'll engage with this more. Uh, you can, you can look at Corgi videos. I spent a lot of time looking at Kansas City Chiefs playoff uh, pictures because I like football more than Corgis, if you will. But uh, but yeah, that's what it, that's that's what the AI is doing. It's learning, quote unquote, learning or updating itself based on your choices, so that it can provide you something new in the future that hopefully engages you. Now, I do have another question, um, Joe. You mentioned chat chat GPT or gpt chat oh gpt what is that yeah so uh chat gpt is this whole uh new it's been around it's it's, it's basically a way of uh when you, you know when you type in a question or ask siri or google hey google do this whatever and it'll give you a response it'll give you a reaction right and that's, that would be ai too right when you ask yes. hey siri play this song or Hey, Google, yes. what's the best place to eat around here or something? That's AI. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So ChatGPT is sort of a, a text form right now of that we can go in and type in questions and it'll give you answers. So ChatGPT, think about um, 
a simple example is, you know, when you type in your phone, like you're typing in uh, a text message or an email and the little suggested words pop up below and mm -hmm. it'll give you sometimes three different words. You're, we all know that, right? Yeah. So chat BT, GPT is sort of essentially that like on super steroids. What it's done is they've downloaded millions, everything off the internet, millions and millions of things and books and resources. And then it's using that sort of same predictive technology to say, oh, if I see the word the, what commonly follows the word the? And what commonly follows this? So when I ask a question, you know, how big is the earth? It can search, scour the internet, every resource that's been built into it and say, what are the most common answers to that? Like what words start out the sentence and the answer to that? And it starts with the first word and it'll calculate what's the next word that would be commonly used, most commonly used after that. And it builds an answer based on uh, it's predicting what would be used most commonly in a, in a sentence. That's the simplest way I can make it. And I think that uh, when it first hopped on my radar a couple of months ago, Somebody on Twitter, and I can't even remember who it was, but they posted an article as if it was written by the Gospel Coalition. And mm -hmm. ChatGPT was able to scour the language of the Gospel Coalition website and assemble an article on a particular topic as if it was a real Gospel Coalition article. Mm -hmm. And when I read the article, I was like, this does sound exactly like the gospel coalition because the gospel coalition writes in a certain kind of tone certain kind of a way and it, it analyzed a particular current event as if it was gospel coalition and i'm like this this is kind of freaky because it it really did sound like it was written by them and i and then that started my mind on possibilities of you know, what could follow from that. So I could have a whole paper written for maybe a New Testament Pauline literature class or comparative religions. Is this what you're telling me? You can just get blink once and then if it's a yes, blink twice if it's not, because I don't know if my teacher's watching. And so I'm not trying to give nobody no thoughts, but... Well, yeah. well, I guess that's one of my questions to you, Joe, in, in thinking about education. Yeah. Does this cause you any concerns? Do you think that you're going to change anything in how you interact with students? Um, it, it honestly, for me, doesn't change anything that I've already been concerned about in terms of the capacity of students to find new ways to cheat uh, and pass stuff off. I mean, they can buy papers. There's lots of things they, they could do. It doesn't make it more accessible to some people. Because uh, chat GPT is free, so maybe it makes some things accessible. Um, you know, let me say this. I, I think there are some valuable things to it. I don't have a real problem. Like, for example, I, I wrote a, a blog post uh, a few weeks ago, and I pasted my post into chat GPT and said, chat GPT, give me five tweets that summarize this in different ways, including hashtags. It generated in about two seconds a bunch of five different tweets with hashtags, and that became my social media marketing stuff. And it saved me a lot of effort of doing that and did a really good job. Uh, so yeah, there are some things it does pretty good. And so I do have things that I, I would be concerned about, but it also has some failures too. 
in terms of what it can say. It doesn't understand because it does with common answers. It doesn't give the uncommon answers. So what it made me realize is that when I'm doing assignments and I'm thinking through uh, work, there's a thing in, in uh, education called Bloom's Taxonomy, which basically it's like lower order levels of learning versus higher level orders of learning. And so, for example, remembering something like a verse, memorizing a Bible verse, right? That would be uh, a, the lowest level of learning, uh, memorizing an equation or something like that. But then it goes to like understanding, applying, uh, analyzing, evaluating, and then ultimately creating. So as you get higher on the learning expectations, those are things AI has less uh, capacity to do well. It really, when you start to quiz, I've typed in like, I've done dozens, maybe a hundred or so tests with different things. And when you start to do analyze, compare, contrast type of questions, it usually messes up somewhere because it's dealing with popular answers, but especially the Christian field, um, you know, uh, there's things and subtleties of theology and nuance that really it doesn't do a good job cheating on because it gives not very specific answers to maybe what my question is. So as a teacher, my goal is how can I ask questions and make assignments that tend towards those higher levels of bloom taxonomy like analyzing evaluating creating so i try to make my assignments fit in those things and then it's easier to spot when they might try to use an ai so basically you're the professor out here who's blocking all of us from cheating or i mean right. not even cheating i'm sorry wrong word but from you know taking some of the easier routes when we already have so much on our plate thank you <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You're welcome. Well, you know, I tell you what, Monique, here's the thing. Uh, I'm also not like, okay, I teach undergrad. Uh, I'm not generally, and I teach students across a wide spectrum of educational backgrounds. So I don't teach only theology students. or So I have a lot of students, some don't write, some are in engineering classes. Uh, I was an engineer, so I can pick on engineers. Maybe they don't write so well, or I, you know, uh, so I are one of them, so it's all right. Mm -hmm. Um so there are students that don't. So if I, if I actually had a student that used ChatGPT, GPT, I would probably figure it out pretty quickly because it's probably written too well. Uh, so there, I'd uh. probably figure it out pretty quickly because it was actually good writing. So uh, that would be my first tip off. That, that actually happened to me when I was a professor in the mid 2000s. I had a couple students I caught cheating and it was like because the writing was kind of rough in the introduction. And then all of a sudden it sounded like a graduate student. Yeah. And so all I did was like, I copied and pasted a couple sentences into Google and I found immediately what they had copied from and yeah. busted them for cheating. Like, you don't want to cheat on your gospel paper. That's not going to. You guys had Google back then? Who was it 2007? Yes. Oh, sorry. My bad. <laughs> My bad. Jeff, okay. Two real quick things though. Uh, just, just to say there's a couple areas of where you could modify assignments, but also a concern with that too in the education space. So my concern would be more, not just students potentially cheating, which is a thing that can be, I think that can be worked around. My actually bigger concern is the use of like, say predictive analytics to determine a student's academic future. What what will make this student successful, right? So it's like, remember those tests you took in high school? Oh, you should be in this career, that career, and those sort of things. If we relied on AI for those sort of things based on, oh, based on the metrics of what's normative, this student, you know, uh, Jeff Swernick will never be good at math and science or something like that. But that doesn't allow for students to grow, mature. It's based off 
it's saying students, hey, this is your future based off AI. And if there's authority given to that, that doesn't allow for humanity to evolve and change as, and grow as individuals. I'd be really concerned about that if we used it for that sort of thing to you know, say, oh, you must take this course of education based off this set of predictions and stats and numbers, because we're not a set of stats and numbers, we're human beings. So I think that would be dehumanizing and also lead to disaster. Um, but uh, oh, you raise again, really? just on the education side, I, I would actually use ChatGPT. I'd find creative ways to say, hey, go to ChatGPT or some other thing. Um, use the technology to find some basic information. Ask it for, like I did for the definition of AI. What's the definition of AI? I thought that'd be a fun way to start it. But what they'd have to learn is how to verify the sources and then use that information uh, to synthesize in ways that I, the AI can't. Um, and so, you know, teaching them to use that as a source potentially to do some things, but also ChatGPT, GPT, like invents resources. If you ask it, give me five sources about, you know, artificial intelligence and the author and books, it'll give it to you. But uh, I've had friends that have done the studies and they'll, they'll literally make up authors or assign the wrong author to the book, because again, it's based off of the consensus of things and some people write fiction. It doesn't know what it's, it's just, it can end up being a mess. So it doesn't, that's make probably where I would land. Jeff, you were going to say something. Well, I just, you know, Joe's discussion there about how the, you, if you're using it for predictive purposes, one of the things that I've noticed about AI is that uh, what it needs to do is constrain the space where the AI is working because it tends to not do well out in the extremes you see that in your self-driving cars that where everything's flowing smoothly they do well when there's a new situation it doesn't handle well and so what you one of the things that you make ai work well is you narrow the parameters where it can go and so when you're dealing with people that's saying everybody's kind of got to behave the same as opposed to somebody may just think very differently and if AI is the mechanism by which we're evaluating or the only mechanism, we're going to limit, we're, we're going to exclude the value or that's not the right way to say that. We're going to make it seem like certain people are less valuable because what they are or who they are, their personality doesn't fit in with that. And so we end up dehumanizing people and elevating the AI, if you will. And I think that's a big concern with AI. Yeah, I want to talk more about those concerns in a couple minutes, but Maybe Jeff, you can comment a little bit in what you're seeing and the research you've done on emerging AI. Like, what do you see as kind of the future? Where is it going? What do you? What are some things that you see on the horizon? Well, as, as Joe mentioned, and as you know, the Chat GPT definition of AI that there are these areas that seem to be the domain of human intelligence, where you know we can write creatively, we can make songs, we can do art, we can write computer programs. And so you see AI actually moving out into those arenas. There is AI that can, you can say, hey, draw me a picture of this scenario and it will produce some pretty pretty decent looking artwork related to that. Or there's an AI that has composed and recorded and produced uh, a worship song. Now, I thought it was, kind of an odd worship song. And I think it's more of a statement on how ordinary or how uh, cookie cutter a lot of worship songs are in the Christian community. 
But quite honestly, if somebody played this in a church, I'd have been a little bit hard pressed to guess that it was generated by an AI. It, it kind of fit within a lot of what was there. Uh, computers can write or AIs can write computer code, which is again, one of those things that seems to be kind of in the human domain. Chat GPT is in the ability to write. Honestly, I think there's not much that humans do that AI is not going to be able to do at some level. And the question is really, what are we going to allow it to do? Because given the creativity of humans, we're going to figure out how to uh, how to equip an AI to be able to do virtually anything that we know how to do at some level. That's my question, because like one of my daughters is in journalism and she and I have had some conversations about this, like, you know, how will journalists establish themselves when some news outlets can just use AI to write articles? Are we really going to need as many journalists or how will people have to be creative in order to establish their their niche or or rise above the, the AI? And it could become very difficult, very competitive. Um, publishers could use fewer authors. I mean, we, we they already use ghostwriters um, quite a bit. I, I can conceive of instead of ghostwriting, you know, some percentage of that being done by AI. So to me, that seems to be the trajectory of where we're going, um, which, yeah, I want to talk about kind of some of the theological implications of that. But before we do that, I also want to raise the issue of law enforcement, Jeff. And um, I know when we did a conference a couple years ago, when I was still working with you, uh, there was a talk there that was done and considering AI and its impacts on law enforcement. And I think things have developed even since then, but things like facial recognition technology, for example, being used in China, there's, they say that there's like 15 cameras for every citizen in China. I mean, there's just cameras everywhere and they're, they're mandated to have iPhone tech, smartphone technology. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, or a week ago, maybe even um, there was deep fakes, uh, deep fake videos where you can take somebody's voice and a picture of them. And I saw this just the other day, a professor entered in a picture of himself and a topic and like a little paragraph discussion. And the AI generated like a 20 minute lecture of this guy talking as if it was a video. It just took his face from a picture and generated a lecture from it. Um, this concerns me in law enforcement context that uh, forging evidence against people could become a real problem. And um, I had to warn my mother a couple of days ago because my voice is all over the internet and there's a new scam of taking people's voices and calling the parents and, and the child's in distress and is asking for money. I just got in an accident. So I had to mm -hmm. warn my mother, like, look, my voice is all over the internet. So if you ever get a call from me that sounds like me asking for money, that's not me. But, but this makes me think about law enforcement scenarios. And I'm just wondering um, if you've seen that or if you have concerns about that. Well, that, that's the trajectory we're going. Uh, the idea 
you know, in some sense, that's not new because Photoshop is a primitive form of doing that where used to be if there was a picture of it there that actually existed somewhere. So if you had a photograph that existed somewhere, well, now we can take with Photoshop and make pictures of anything. And so we've kind of somewhat learned how to adapt to that, if you will. But what goes on with the video part, I think that is just a whole different level of we can make things look very different than they are. And I generally think law enforcement is pretty good, but you've got bad apples across the board. Uh, I know various law enforcement people I've talked to said just with the laws out there, you could probably arrest anybody or pull anybody over in a car at any point in time and they're doing something wrong. And so in this scenario now where we're, if we use AI without a human back there behind it, checking it and being the one who makes the ultimate call, we are going to have a lot of things where people are going to get hurt because we haven't thought carefully about the technology. And, you know, your your, your discussion about uh, facial recognition is just a great example of that. I mean, it's great that a criminal who's doing awful things can no longer hide in a crowd, but that means you can no longer hide in a crowd. And if your voice is different than the narrative that people want out there, you now have no place to hide just because the facial recognition software is that good that's out there and it's only going to get better. And so these are the sorts of things where if we don't think carefully, and I, and I would actually make an argument that if we don't think carefully and build character in a Christian context or as though Christianity were true, we're going to hurt a lot of people in the development of AI and we're going to miss a lot of the benefits that AI can bring. This conversation has really given me the Jetsons vibe, like with Rosie the robot. <laughs> and like thinking about, you know, the potential or the possibility for robots to really take over and not take over in like the most extreme sense, but to fill the gaps where humans work, you know, either in like fast food industries or lower like, level low, jobs. Yeah, maybe some lower level jobs. But as Christians, we believe in the dignity of work. And you know, if if a robot or some artificial intelligence is now stepping in for cheaper wage, you know, to be able to to work where a human should work, how do you think that will impact one just just work in general for humans? And how should Christians be thinking about this in regards to the value and dignity of work overall? Jeff, why don't you go first since you're on screen, and then we'll let Joe weigh in. No, I, I think that's a big problem that we need to think a lot about, particularly because the types of jobs that you can replace tend to be the more the more automatable ones. And so, uh, you know, yeah, I'm a scientist. I have abilities that allow me to think and do things. Um, but I also know people who are very mechanically good. And so if we're not careful, we're going to be taking the jobs away from people who basically now have nowhere to be a part of what's contributing in society. And, you know, as I look at what Genesis talks about, far before Adam and Eve fell, God had humanity in the garden working, that that is part of who we're designed to be. And if we're now taking and making work because of the pressure of money, that it's cheaper to hire the robots, or we no longer need journalists because I can have chat GPT write these things, or I can have the computer, or I can have the AI write the computer code, 
or even I, I don't think it's unreasonable to think at some point in time that we're going to have AIs that can advance the scientific enterprise, that we run the very strong risk of taking a large group of people in our society and making it to where what they can contribute can't compete with what the AI can do because it's cheaper, faster, never gets tired, whatever the reason. And we're now going to have a whole slew of people who don't have meaningful, fulfilling work to do. And that's going to have a dramatic effect on the psyche of people. And it's going to, I think it's going to lead to crime and all sorts of other things because people are going to be looking for that thing that work was designed to do. So I think we need to be thinking very carefully about that and making sure that we don't just advance the technology because it's great and it's cheaper and stronger and faster without thinking about do we have jobs for the people who are around? Because I I, I wholeheartedly believe we are designed to work. Um, Joe, would you like to add anything to that? Yeah, I would just say that I guess my concerns is kind of like maybe two sides to that concern. Um, you know, I don't think it's just necessarily like when we think lower level jobs or whatever. Uh, no, I've, I've seen some people say that they've used AI to develop uh, new genetic coding sequences and develop new molecules for stuff. And so some pretty advanced things are done. Uh, so, you know, it, it can be used for a lot of that processing. But, the, you know, calculators, in a sense, people said those things about calculators. So I'm not saying that there's an you know, we need to equivocate on all technology has been, you know, people have been afraid of it and it turns out to be okay. I do think that this is a different kind of something that we should be aware of. But at the same time, you know, I guess it's the old adage when I was a kid growing up, gar you know, computers, garbage in, garbage out. That's still true. Whatever information is put into it, it will output in a certain way. And the bias of the programmers will come in uh, whatever that is. And that's actually concerns me on the job side too. You know, like I said earlier about predictive technology of who should be do doing what jobs or who's allowed to do what jobs. Uh, jobs that are replaced that require human consideration, such as I know that right now that, that AI is used uh, to predict like when medical supplies or food is distributed across the globe for needs, well, it'll say, okay, distribute so much to Africa or put this much to India or whatever. So if you're using AI for that, well, what are the biases of the programmers? There's certain people, oh, well, uh, you know, think about your, um, think about your, uh, when you have a medical procedure and they say, oh, well, the, the analytics say that you're too old to get this procedure. The money's, you're not worth that procedure. So my concern about replacing jobs is more that the humanity is lost in the job itself. I mean, at least that's a, one side of the concerns that the human decision-making process factors in things that those systems won't be able to factor in or will be programmed with certain biases against certain human beings uh, or certain groups of human beings that we can't compensate for. And people not knowing that the bias is built in will assume, oh, well, that's just AI. It must be doing the right morally good thing, right? We assume that because it's removed the emotion and the, and the you know uh, emotional element, somehow pure reason has led to the right moral end. You know, it's it's Spock or the Vulcan, you know, sort of thing. You know, without emotions, we'll get to the right solution. So that's my concern in, the, in that whole side is when we give up those jobs, we assume it's making a moral decision. But yeah, I think um, there the other thing we're not getting is that 
to for humans to do the higher order jobs require us to start with the lower entry level of jobs just like bloom's taxonomy students have to learn how to memorize how to understand before they can move to the higher levels of applying analyzing evaluating you know and being creative you don't just start at the higher level jobs you have to work your way towards those by learning the skills at the lower end jobs and it reminds me of that movie Wall E, you know, the the little robot thing, you know, and those people are flying off to inhabit a new planet because we destroyed this one. And they're in these, you know, ships that are all controlled by the robots and they're all fat and then the little things floating around and they can't even get out of their chairs because they've never moved, right? They can't even press a button because they don't know how. It's just like, you know, the stuff they can't do because they've been so uh, dulled uh, in their capacities by the AI. And so that's the part that's a real problem too. It's not that, yeah, we could compensate, we could find other jobs for people to do, but the problem is those certain entry-level jobs are a part of human development of intelligence and capacities and skills. So it's not just like magically, well, we'll just do the jobs they're not doing. Uh, that doesn't understand how humanity itself learns and grows. Yeah, I mean, so much of this is rooted and grounded in your theological view of humanity. And if, mm -hmm. if you truly believe what the Bible says, that part of the way that God has built the system in us, that he's programmed us from the beginning, that work is connected to our sense of purpose and well-being. Um, we have to truly believe that and that... When people lose the ability to participate in culture building and to mm -hmm. participate in building something meaningful and, and ruling and reigning and governing on, on God's behalf, that person will become injured. It, it's injurious to their soul. And that, um, you know, we're, we're already experiencing unprecedented levels of depression and anxiety, particularly since COVID, when so many people were locked down. Um, our anthropology, our theology of humanity tells us this is what a human person is. This is what it's designed to do. But if our technology gets to a point where, you know, we're not able to participate according to God's design, we could run into real psychological problems with humanity. So this is something, you know, not to completely scare us about, but to that, that we need to be thinking about and in, in how we're developing the technology. And Jeff, maybe you can comment on this of, you know, any technology, um, you know, has, well, I shouldn't say any, but many technologies have the potential for good or for evil, depending on the intent of the human heart that utilizes that technology or develops that technology um it's and so that's all the more important the christians are involved in this conversation wouldn't you say no that that's absolutely right and you know we tend to have this idea that we can ask oh is this good technology or bad technology and quite honestly i mean give me any technology and i can find a good use for it or a bad use for it uh, you know we don't ask whether a hammer is good or bad I can go tear down my neighbor's stuff with a hammer, or I can use it to build something that I couldn't if I just had my hands, if you will. And so every technology, and AI is in that class as a technology, 
the question is, who are we going to be as a people as we use it? You know, and I mean, Joe listed some of the ways that the biases show up. And even if you even if you were to have a program that didn't have biases built in, all of it is trained on data. And the data is just going to have the inherent biases of the people who generated the data. I mean, people have biases. And so one of the things that I'm concerned about in there, and I think we we need to be very careful how we do, is do we allow the technology to make decisions or do we make sure we're using the technology and driving decisions? Because there are going to be lots of pressures to uh, you know, use it in the medical field. It can detect tumors better than many doctors can. But if we allow the AI to decide what's going on without the human oversight, we're now we're going to become victims of the idea that we think the AI is thinking like us, when in reality, it's finding patterns and correlations. And so we need to be making sure that as humans, we're using the AI as a tool, not allowing the tool to form who we become as people. And, and just as you mentioned, if we don't think that people are valuable, if we don't think that work is valuable, if we don't think that relationships are valuable, more likely than not, the AI is going to diminish the value of people. It's going to diminish the value of work and it's going to diminish the value of our relationships. And that's going to be pretty catastrophic. So I think it's very important. We're thinking, how are we being formed as people so that we can use this technology well? So interesting because um, what I hear you saying in that is making sure that we keep the first things first, looking at a first ordered way of doing life and, you know, not putting a machine before person, not allowing mechanics to dictate our morality and you know, keeping the human it, level of the decision making is critical. It is. Yeah. It is because for us as believers, there is a way in which our morality is ordered in which our thinking is ordered. There, there's a, a very distinct way in which we do life that machinery, you know, doesn't offer us one. Um, but then two, I would even say, and this is probably just my own skeptical nature, but, um, you know, even thinking about the people who are creating the machinery, the people who are doing the data and the inputting and all of that, like, what is their worldview? How are they viewing the human person? Yeah. And all of that. Because all of that's going to potentially come through in the programming. Yeah. Which kind of leads me to a question for both of you. And Jeff, you can go first since you're on screen. But um, do you see any boundaries of like, hey, you know, we should be really careful about, you know, certain issues, certain lines. You know, we don't want to be crossing these boundaries that you think Christians, Christians particularly need to take a a strong stand if you were having that kind of a pastoral perspective, I guess, in talking to regular people about their lives. Are there any areas of AI that you think don't participate in it like this? Don't don't go down this path. Yeah, as, I, as I've thought about that, I've like, you know, I, I don't see any like, oh, this is out of bounds or, you know, doing this AI is out of bounds and this AI is in bounds. It's, it's much more you know, just in the nature of the conversation that we've had here, do we value work? If this AI is devaluing work, let's 
pull back and make sure we're doing that well. If this AI is leading to diminished relationships so that you're relating more to a computer than you are to people or valuing the AI more than you value people, let's be, let's be looking for that and make sure that we don't do that. If we're using AI to make decisions and, and, and abdicating our role as decision makers because we are moral agents, the technology isn't, um, if we're advocating decisions to the AI, that those are the sorts of things to look out for. And what what my encouragement is to people, especially Christians, is it is really important that we understand our theology well, because very often it's going to. There are so many different ways this manifests itself that if we have to continually think through every time something comes up we're going to either be always reacting or just paralyzed. Whereas if we become people who just see what God is doing, who see where God is active, we're going to see where the AI comes in and offers a counterfeit to what God has designed. And so be so familiar with who God is and how he values people and how he values work and how he values creation and how he values our relationship with him, that when we see things that diminish that, we'll recognize it right away and that gives us the way to go now go think more deeply about it so that we can figure out how to articulate it well. That's really good. Very helpful. Joe, I'd love to hear whatever thoughts you have on that. Yeah, I, I think uh, what Jeff said earlier is really helpful to think about intrinsic versus instrumental value of things. Um, you know, a shovel has no intrinsic value. It's just all instrumental. Uh, how do I use it? If I use it to dig a hole, that's great. If I use it to hit somebody in the head, that's bad. But the shovel has no inherent value of its own. It's how it's used. And AI is really like that. It doesn't. It's not intrinsically evil. It's not uh, intrinsically good. It just is. It's a thing. It's a tool created by humans with our minds and our imagination to help us in certain ways. And it can help or it can harm. So that's just true of anything any human has ever made. Uh, so I, I don't think that there is, like I say, yeah, this is off balance, so to speak. Uh, it's more of how is it being used is the factor. And one of the ways I'd say for people to evaluate that is, um, is I, I think, let, let, let me put it this way. I think being human is uh, a beautifully inconvenient thing, right? Uh, th there is not much easy about life with other people. Uh, as a pastor years ago, I used to say, you know, my church should be perfect if it wasn't for all these people, right? Uh, problem is if all the people left, it would still be imperfect because I would be there, you know? So, uh, life is inconvenient. It's hard. I see it right now with a lot of my students. Um, we're, we're right now starting to get the COVID, uh, the students who had a couple, their last couple of years of high school were COVID lockdowns, right? So they experienced a lot of social isolation, as you mentioned earlier, Krista, uh, they experienced a lot of you know, do the work on your time and your way. And if somebody got the little sniffles, nobody really cared about whether that was a legit excuse or not. Just everything was bend over backwards to accommodate the odd circumstances that we were living through through this pandemic. And so now we have, I see students in the classroom who can't, they haven't socialized properly. They don't know how to interact in the classroom space with with other students, with me as a, as a professor. Uh, they don't know how to engage with the material and learn it on my timetable as in, hey, this is due then, this is due now. But no, I was like, well, you know, I just had a really rough week and I, you know, I just needed more time. Like, well, that's great, but that's not a reason to turn in something late. 
So the idea of even having constraints on their life is very difficult. And I and I think that's a that may be a warning sign for AI. Because when we think of AI, we think, ah, convenience, ah, take out all the drudgery. But then again, you know, like I said, being human is about is, is a beautifully inconvenient experience. The the difficulty of learning how to relate to different people in different contexts, how to uh, master certain skills or tasks when they are very difficult. Now we'll just do what the convenient thing is because, oh, I can just pass that off to ChatGPT or whoever invents the next thing that surpasses whatever that is, right? Uh, and because we uh, are afraid of the inconvenient, the uncomfortable, uh, we'll, we'll lose the capacity to relate, to love, to learn, uh, to build societies that can function, that can um, that we can deal with the give and take, the ebb and flow of agreement and disagreement and uh, without becoming, and I think Twitter is, you know, the social media in general, you know, the, the people get so angry, right? Everything is a reason to be triggered. Why? Because they've dehumanized the process of communication. So I think what we see in social media then becomes the microcosm of what we see in a large scale AI situation, right? So um, we, we see enough precursors in different areas like that whether through the pandemic or social media of what can happen and what those warning signs are signs are so families you know when you're playing games at night you know uh sit down and play games board games with the kids uh have dinners those sort of things and yeah yeah put the phones in a basket don't let them be allowed at the table learn to have conversations make eye contact communicate um let there be a space for the technology but don't let the technology infringe on the other spaces where human humanness and humanity matter most. Wow, that is so good. Such a good reminder for all of us. And gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. Please tell us how we can stay in contact with you. Joe, why don't you go first since you're already on the screen? Finally, I get to go first. Always Jeff, always Jeff. <laughs> um, so... Uh, yeah, everyone, you know, so all the stuff I do, it's a variety of places, love it, but it's all sort of coalesced in one place at morethancake.org, morethancake.org, all my social media, my involvements with uh, this lovely Center for Biblical Unity with RTB, I've got some involvements with them, I work at Grand Canyon University and some of the educational uh, videos that I produce there that people might like on Worldview, so all that is through morethancake.org. Awesome, thank You're you. Good. And Jeff, why don't you tell people uh, how they can stay connected to you and Reasons to Believe? So the best way to stay connected with me is at Reasons to Believe. Reasons.org is the website. Lots of articles, lots of stuff to connect with there. Uh, you can also follow me on social media. It's RTB underscore Jay's Wearing. That's uh, J and then my last name. Uh, those are probably the two best ways to connect up with me. Excellent. Thank you guys so much for being here. This has been I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and I think uh, you've given people some great things to think about. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you very much. Oh, thanks for the invitation. It's been a lot of Bless fun. You all. all right, we'll see you guys soon. Take care. Wow. So you that got your great. AI video. You got I know. your AI episode. Oh, we finally in. did it. Yes. All right, we're going to go to hear from our friends at Birmingham Theological Seminary and Impact 360. We'll be right back in two minutes with some final thoughts. My time with BTS has been a time of theological excellence, but it's also been a time of learning 
practical personal ministry. The things that I learned here at BTS, I have implemented them into my ministry. I was not necessarily planning on getting a seminary degree. I just would choose Birmingham Theological Seminary classes that I was the most interested in that I thought could help me develop the most. But I ended up getting my MDiv from BTS and there's so much that I've learned. I really, really indebted to BTS because without it, I don't think I could have gotten this far. I initially started it because I had been called to a church, had no theological education, but knew I needed it. So between having my first child, doing my first job, and having my first church, BTS came in and just sort of helped me to understand what it meant to be a qualified minister and to be a studied minister that could rightfully divide the word of truth. It's time to prepare. Let's get ready for the journey ahead. Life doesn't give us a redo. We don't get to run it back. Along the way, we will face obstacles and challenges, but we are carrying light into the dark places. Our paths and our destinations are different, but our beginning is the same. We must prepare. This is why Impact 360 Institute exists. Get ready to grow, to stand firm, to be who God created you to be, to lead with courage, truth, and love. This experience will transform your life. Be challenged to grow your faith. Learn how to think and not what to think. Build community with those seeking to live like Jesus. Establish spiritual rhythms, discover how to be, and make disciples. And put your faith into action. As you prepare for the journey ahead, deepen your understanding of what God has revealed about reality and why Christianity is true. Discover your identity in Christ and your God-given calling and authentic community. Cultivate a servant's heart and live a life of spirit-empowered kingdom influence. So once again, go visit our friends at Impact 360 and Birmingham Theological Seminary. So... It's all new. Artificial intelligence was all new to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd so, heard like the words artificial intelligence, but really what it is, what like stands out on the horizon and things like that, it, it really hasn't been much of an interest to me. I think the China thing with all the like facial recognition and cameras, and I think that's something that's on my radar, but, and, and quite alarming, but. Um, so did you learn yeah. anything from this? Was that yeah. helpful? Made you think about something? Rosie the Robot vibes. Oh, yes. That's what you got out of this. <laughs> and I'm glad that my Roomba isn't, you know, artificial intelligence okay. because I need something to vacuum. Well, it was interesting to me. And I think that one of the things that I was thinking of at the very end as Jeff was talking is how important it is for Christians to stay involved in this discussion mm -hmm. in the public square, you know, like if you, ha if people have a young person who's interested in these sorts of things or any young person for that matter to part of our training and discipleship as parents is teaching them how to interact with technology, how to think about it in a biblical way, not simply to just retreat yeah. from culture. But if, if we want to, have a voice in how the technology is developed and used and Christians need to be involved definitely in that. And that's going to take us as Christian parents. when we see those talents in our kids to make sure they have that 
deep theological foundation to build on as they go into their workplace. So I agree with that. I, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about was I recently took my nephews to McDonald's and I, I don't eat McDonald's. And so I hadn't been in a McDonald's probably in five years since I've been home. I had not stepped inside of one. And there was only one person working at their McDonald's. Everything was automated at this particular McDonald's. I don't know if it's a pilot program or what it is, but you plug in, you like push in your order and then the machines in the back do the things and they flip the burgers and they fry the nuggets and all this. And then like there's somebody back there to do the oversight. There may have been two people, but it wasn't more than two for sure. Um, and like you pay with your credit card. There's no like, Hey, welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? It's all just on the machine. And then someone actually walks your little bag to the counter with your number and your number flashes on the screen and then you pick it up and you leave. And I was so surprised. So I think that, you know, to your point and to Jeff's point of, and and Joe, you know, of making sure that we're not so enthralled with AI and thinking that the morality behind it must be good. This must be good for the environment and for the way that society is quote unquote progressing, you know, that we now eliminate the opportunity for people to work. And to even have interaction with Mm -hmm. each other, you know, eye contact and communication. This is part of how God has created us and what will be the implications long-term impacts on us if we eliminate that it's not simply we ought to engage in this simply because we can't yeah the question is is should we and how do we think about us as humans that we are not just machines yeah so and cannot easily be replaced by machines yeah should not be easily yeah machines all right all right with that we'll see you in we'll see you very soon i believe it's two yeah All right. Have a good evening, everyone. God bless. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.